We continue in our journey of the Gospel of Mark, and we continue to take a look at not only what is, what is the Gospel, but who is Jesus, and, and how Mark shows us. Mark is the earliest Gospel ever penned, I believe, you know, whether it is in the 40s or the 60s. Uh, Mark is the first one that comes up. And Mark is writing to early Christians, trying to, to, to tell them who this Jesus is. And, and there was something going on in that world that goes on in today's world, and that's this, is we have trust issues, do we not? You know, every year there's an organization that puts out the most trustworthy people and professions, occupations, in our world. It's actually quite interesting because as I've looked at that, I've, I've not really picked up this year's one. Um, I'm a little worried what that will show. Um, but I can tell you there are some that are always at the bottom of the list. Okay? Um, and and uh, you can probably guess. Anyone, anyone guess what may be at the bottom of some of those lists? Politicians, they, they traditionally score very, very low of being trustworthy and ethical. Uh, and those of you online, go ahead and tell us as well. But what are, what are some others that may be low on that list? Sometimes religious people. In fact, one of the most uh, scary things to some extent, but pastors keep falling lower and lower on that list. Sometimes that's because my fellow pastors and I, we are just not very bright. Sometimes that's because we, as the church, have given people reason to mistrust us or distrust us by how we act. Others that may be preferably lower on the list. Attorneys. Do we, have, we, we don't have any attorneys here, do we, this morning? Okay. Attorneys typically score low. Now, I've known some good attorneys. Uh, but, Daniel, were you the one asking how can an attorney defend somebody that they know is wrong? Yeah. We had this conversation on, on our justice system to some extent. And how can an attorney, if Caden did something awful and I'm your attorney, don't ever pick me as your attorney, okay? That, good. That's not wise, okay? Uh, but if I knew Caden did it, how does someone defend them? And the real answer is they just try to get them off with less of a penalty, you know, uh, with that. But they're important because we want, we want them to have a, everybody to have a sense of justice where the process is as fair as can be. So attorneys and politicians, you know, are lower on the list. Some of those that are high on the list are educators and teachers, not college necessarily, but the lower you get, the more trustworthy they are. But not just beyond that, but just think about it. We are becoming a world and a society that we, by nature, do not trust one another. I, I, I you have to earn my trust. And that was somewhat in those days, and, 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 but yet there, there is something greater. And when we have trust issues, this second follows. We will have an authority issue. Because if I don't know if I can trust you, I don't know if I can believe what you say, therefore I don't know if I should obey you. You know? 
If my kids don't trust me, it doesn't matter what, they, what I say. They may not obey. And then we have an authority issue. You look at our world. We have issues with authority. Even when we do trust people, we are becoming more and more secular. I define it this way. I reserve the right to change my definition. But secularism is basically a personal and individual authority. I am my own boss. You can't tell me what to do. And this is where, to some extent, the idea of relative truth comes out. It's my truth versus your truth. You can't tell me I'm wrong because I'm the authority of my life. Now, this is different than the world of Jesus. Okay? The world of Jesus, the, the, the gospel uh, of Mark, the, the readers uh, of the gospel of Mark, they never would have thought of themselves as the sole authority. They lived in a world where they were used to authority figures, but the question always for them was, who gets greatest authority? You think of Rome or Greece. Which God got the greatest authority? What well, depend on what you needed. You need rain? Go here. Fertility? Go here. Success, go here. War, go here. And the nation of Israel was different. They were saying, no, there is one God who gets the sole authority. But we live in a world where it isn't maybe just multiple religions that we have that. It is, well, I'm my own authority. And we might see this within the Christian world where we will say, well, my experience with Scripture is this. Now, our experience with Scripture is important and we need to have those, but my experience of life doesn't determine what this says. My experience doesn't trump the absolute truth of Scripture. And we have people in our world, you might think of secular people, idea of the secular world is as one way of thinking or another, but it's on both sides of any kind of ideology and or political spectrum. In fact, one of the greatest secular nations, in my opinion, we have in our world today is the nation of Israel. They're not interested in the authority of God. They're interested in their own authority. Friends, we can be the same way. What do I want? And in this, we have the gospel call. In this, we read in, in the gospel of Mark, in the, starting in the chapter, chapter 1, verse 21, they, Jesus and his four disciples at this time, they went to Capernaum, their home base of Jesus. Peter and James and John and Andrew probably lived in that area. Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach the people of the synagogue were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as teachers of the law. What's going on here? Well, in those days, um, the, you know, the teachers of the law were probably just those who were uh, literate, meaning they could write, they could read. So they could read what somebody else would say. So they would get up there and say, so I was reading Rabbi such and such. Or according to Moses, this is what's going on and this is what we believe. And Jesus gets up and he says, here's the word of God and here's what it means. And people are going, whoa, that's not what we think. 
And so we start to see very early on that Jesus is different. Jesus isn't like everybody else. Now, Mark already said he is the Son of God. He has already told us he is the Messiah. That's why this is good news. We see, if you remember from last week, that, that Jesus isn't like uh, John the Baptist who, who says there's coming a time. Jesus says the kingdom of God is here. And Jesus is different. And people are noticing. You know that? People notice when something's just different. You know? If I were to go in Shannon's office today after she leaves here and I rearrange something, she might notice that something is different. And she won't look at first whether that's a good different or a bad different. It's just different. Okay? Jesus comes on the scene and he is different and people notice. In just a minute, I'm going to get us to the point where I ask us, what is our response to Jesus? Because we see a response here that sometimes we can have where people are just like, wow, look at Jesus. That's pretty cool. No one's ever done that before. There's a, then we read on in this that all of a sudden he's teaching and a man walks into their synagogue who was possessed by an unclean spirit, demonic. He's not supposed to be there. What is Jesus going to do? Because if Jesus is in the synagogue, what day is this? Sabbath. <laughs> a key theme gets picked up here. Jesus, in the Sabbath, somebody comes in. And notice what, what the response to Jesus is. Notice the authority of Jesus here. The impure spirit calls out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And we see right at the outset that Jesus is God. The supernatural, the demonic, they proclaim who he is. You say, well, what's going on here? There was a thought in those days, if you can name the other person, you gain authority over them. No wonder Jesus tells them, uh, my version says, you know, uh, shut up, I believe. No, be quiet. Shut up, be quiet. You know, same thing. You're not allowed to go around saying that, okay? All right? But Jesus is like, no, stop. Why? Not only only is he going to exercise authority over them, he's not going to let them proclaim what the rest of this group isn't ready to hear. Because if they see him as the Messiah, now the good news of the gospel of Jesus is going to try to be usurped. We find this later in the gospel of Mark that I'll bring out. But Jesus is saying, oh, no, no, you don't, we're not equals here. What really happened before this? Remember the words of, of verse 15. The kingdom of God is at hand. When Jesus came on the scene, he put all of the supernatural on notice. The effects of sin was going to be undone. The gospel undoes the effects of sin. What are those effects of sin? Sickness, disease, broken relationships, demonic possession, death itself. We see here in the gospel chapter 1, Jesus is already undoing that. He's already doing that. He's bringing things back to the way they were supposed to be. He has an authority over all things, and no one will take that away. 
See, the issue isn't, do you take authority from Jesus? The issue is, is whether you submit to his or not. We don't compare. We cannot. That's what Mark is telling him and telling us. He says, come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out with a shriek. The people once again are amazed and they ask one another, what is this? Who is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gets orders to impure spirits and they obey him. See, Jesus doesn't have to go through a ritualistic way for people to be transformed. All we need sometimes is the word from Jesus and boom, it's done. The demonic realized Jesus is God. And we read that he heals many others. And he goes about this idea, the next story, the story of Peter's mother-in-law. <laughs> Once again, uh, remember, what day is this? Sabbath. Man. You know, it's easy to miss this, but Jesus goes on and, he, and, and, and not only do we think of the supernatural being undone, when, when Jesus came, that, that, that coming in, he put Satan on notice that your time is done, okay? And it's a matter of waiting until when. He then goes and he, he goes to Peter's house and Peter's mother-in-law has a fever. In those days, they thought that was its standalone issue. It wasn't just, I have strep throat, I have a fever, Okay? This was like its own illness. In fact, most people believe you got a fever because you sinned against God in some way, shape, and form. And, and Jesus comes in. And, and uh, there's a couple things that is interesting about this one here. Jesus, he isn't afraid to touch the untouchable. It's the Sabbath. And Peter's mother-in-law is an unknown woman to Jesus. Men in those days did not touch women who they did not know. And they definitely did not do that on a Sabbath. In fact, Jesus, we have every count, he touches this man who's demon-possessed. No one else was going to do that. He's unclean. But Jesus goes where no one else will go. He touches those that no one else would touch. And things happen. And there's a response to Jesus here. And the story of Peter's mother-in-law. What do we, we read there that so he went, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to serve them. Some translation says wait upon them. I was better to say, Carol, do you just get up and you guys go back and just rock? You know, I, you know, and, Jeanette, if I need to hold the baby, I don't know if that's going to work or not, but you know, um, you know, we can pass her around. That's all right. But the response of Peter's mother-in-law is a response that almost every woman in the Gospel of Mark gets. They serve Jesus. They serve Jesus. And it's almost as if Mark is tucking away. You want to respond to the authority of Jesus. You don't respond by just having good thoughts. You don't just respond by doing things that help you. You serve others. You can be in all of who Jesus is all you want, but are you serving him and others? And then as I continue on, we we read that Jesus goes out to pray. And I think this is Mark's way of highlighting that Jesus is human. 
we could easily go away from some of the stories and go, well, that's easy for Jesus to do because he's God. And the truth of Scripture, as we find in this very first chapter of Mark, is Jesus is fully God and he's a fully human being. Now you go, how does that work? I have not a real good clue. Okay? It's a mystery of Scripture. But if Jesus isn't human, then it doesn't, he can't relate to us. And Scripture says over and over again he can. If he's not fully human, then he, we have no hope. He's just like one of the others. But he can't just be human. He has to also be fully God. Otherwise, his sacrifice is no different than if I did it. You don't want me dying for you. I ain't going to do anything, Tanner. I mean, I might be able to stand in your place if you got your hair a little shorter and I grew my beard a little longer. All right? I could go to, we could switch jobs. Well, you don't think I can do your job? <laughs> we could, you know. But it wouldn't do it, right? I would, be a, I would be a miserable Tanner, okay? And Tanner, you would be a miserable me, and that's okay. That's why you're Tanner, not Jeremy. You know, but Jesus is fully God, so when he does things, he's doing what only God can do in this passage. But he's also doing what we as humans can do. And he goes out to pray, and you say, well, what, what was Jesus? Why did he have to go out to pray? Philippians 2 says he did not, when he was fully human, did not take his qualities of God as something he can do on his own, whatever he wanted. And so I think what he's doing here, Jesus' popularity is going on, and he's just going back to the Father, and he says, okay, what's our next step, Lord? And in the Gospel of Mark, we see Jesus pray at critical times of his mission. And so we get another response to Jesus here in, in verse 36. Simon and his companions went. They didn't go to look. I mean, that sounds kind of nice. I mean, they were on a search and rescue mission, all right? They are scouring the earth, and they're going, wait a minute, Jesus, everybody wants you right here. Why don't you just come? Because, man, this is kind of pretty cool. You are healing people. People are knowing about you. Let's go. And Jesus says, um, we're not going there. We're going to go elsewhere. For I must preach the gospel there. And then we read this story of the leprosy, and I will kind of wrap up here real quickly. The story of the lepers, another interesting one. It, it kind of, uh, you know, sets the scene for what will come ahead. Once again, it's an unclean issue. In fact, the issue of leprosy, if you read the Old Testament, Jeff, what book of the Old Testament are you in? Numbers. So you already got through Leviticus. All right. You already got through, I believe it's uh, Leviticus 16 and 17, right around there at least, where there is at length a discussion on what is leprosy and how to find leprosy and how to diagnose leprosy and what to do with leprosy, right? You vaguely remember that. You might have tried to forget that, right? Yes, and that's okay, you know. There, here's a reason why. Leprosy was unlike any other condition. It's not what we know as leprosy today. It was, it was more broad than just that. But leprosy was something that completely changed all of life for a person. 
There was so much there because it wasn't something you took lightly, and a priest was the only one who could call you unclean. And so why Jesus tells him to go to the priest, he's undoing the effects of this awful disease. You know, no one else, we read in in the Gospels, had to go present themselves to the priest unless they were a leper. Peter's mother-in-law didn't have to. Why? Because if you knew she was sick and she gets up walking and starts serving lunch, you know she's not sick anymore. If you were blind before, that's awful. But you were healed from blindness. Everybody can see and know you were good. If you couldn't walk, and now all of a sudden you're jumping in the streets, everyone can see that that has been done. But you weren't allowed to go around and say, Caden, you're a leper now. Go now, get away from your dad, okay? And, and you got to go around, and I want, you to, I want to hear you loud and clear. Just say, unclean, unclean, I'm unclean, stay away. Okay? You don't like that idea? No? Yeah, no one else would. It wasn't something any normal Jew was allowed to do because the consequences were great. In fact, leprosy was believed in the nation of Israel to basically be you were dead. You just happened to still be able to walk around. And we thought walking dead was, was, you know, unique. They were basically dead to the world. And there was a belief that unlike maybe anything else, any other issue in Scripture, there was only one person who could bring back to life a leper. And that is God. Because to the Jew, they said, well, leprosy is like death, so there's only one person who controls death, and that is God himself. And what do we see here? This leper comes to Jesus and says, If you are willing, you can make me clean. There's a faith there. An understanding, a response to Jesus. He realizes that Jesus can do what no one else can do. Or as I say on the screen, Jesus does what only God could do. Now, I want to ask you do, you, do you, do you believe that Jesus can change something in your life today? Do you believe that? See, because we can look at this and we go, well, that, that world, they, 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 they just, they, they saw Jesus, they brought people great, but I'm just asking, are there things you're holding back from Jesus because you're not sure he can handle it? If, if so, then you got, there's a trust issue there. Get to know Jesus a little more. Jesus, he treats this man and everyone he has with grace, with gentleness. It says here Jesus was indignant. And there's great debate there, and, and I think I agree with most of the others, which is probably a good thing. Jesus is indignant because here is someone who was completely cut off from the world because this world is sinful and the effects of sin run all around and he has compassion on him because he's getting ready to give this man life back. Where do you need life back? You struggling with an addiction? Jesus can help take care of that. And he may tell you, go see a good counselor. You better go find one. If you need help, I can help you find one. 
Okay? He might tell you that you're sick and he wants, you to, he wants a good doctor in order to do that. I bet John can give us many good doctors, you know, you know, that he would trust. Right, John? You know good doctors. You know also other doctors. You're not allowed to say that maybe, but you know. We can find he's going to use those things, but what Jesus can't do is he can't ever touch a leper who won't ever come to him. He can't heal something that we're not willing to go to him and say, this is the issue. If you are willing, you can. And many a times I wonder if we shortchange, I put this in my annual report, we have shortchanged our healing and transformation in Jesus because we think we're good enough. And Jesus says, no, it's not about you being good enough. I want to do a work in your life. So if you'll just give it to me, I'll do a work in your life. And we wonder why we are what we are. And Jesus touches this unclean man. And he says, I am willing. Be cleaned. Immediately. Life was brought back. Immediately. This man's life changed. He now could go home. Do you realize that? He was homeless before because he wasn't allowed to be anywhere anyone else was. He no longer had to walk around going, unclean, unclean, unclean. He could walk around and no one notice him. Wow. And some of you love the fact that no one notices you. He could finally do that he could finally go to synagogue. He could go to church. And you say, well, why does Jesus say, go, go to the nearest priest, show yourself, offer the sacrifices that Moses command for your cleansing as a testimony? Not because Jesus was unsure, but remember, there was only one person who could call him unclean, and that was a priest. No one would believe him until the priest says, you're right, you are clean. The priest wasn't going to be doing anything else. The priest was offering witness to what Jesus had done. And so he goes. He does tell the guy, don't tell anyone. And you figure, why? Well, one, of urgency, this man doesn't need to be waiting any longer. But secondly... When this gets out, people are going to go, I think I know who this Jesus is supposed to be. And that's the struggle of the rest of the Gospel of Mark. Who is Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? What is your response to Jesus? Here in this passage in chapter 1, we have these responses and a couple others. We have people who are in awe of Jesus. They see Jesus, they hear Jesus, and they're like, wow. Maybe that's you. You've been around church long enough. You, you, you experienced church. You've, you've heard some great preaching and teaching, and you're just in awe of Jesus. Can I tell you, that shouldn't be your stopping point. God, Mark doesn't say that's where, that's where we need to stop. Maybe you are in awe of Jesus. You need to go like, um, like Peter's mother-in-law where, where they serve Jesus. 
Shannon, make a note to remind me this week because I know I will forget. One of the things I'm trying to to create this year is an easy way for you to say, I want to serve Jesus in this way in this church. And, And something simple and quick where it takes you like 60 seconds to do. And we can follow up later. There's ways of doing it. We have those capabilities. We just got to do that. And if you're a tech person, I can get you the access to figure that stuff out. Or if you want to learn that, I can get you that. But, but we aren't saved just to sit. See, the gospel of Jesus isn't static. Jesus doesn't just stay put. He's always on the move. He's active. And you say, why? Because his goal was so that the whole nation of Israel, the whole world would hear the kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe the good news of Jesus. And some of you go, what what I want to do, we don't do around here yet. I can find somewhere for you to do that. You know, you don't have to just serve God in a church. In fact, a lot of times we as, the, as God's people, we need to be serving out in our community in such a way that people start to ask, why are you here? I'm here because I love Jesus and Jesus loves you. That means you're going to walk into people who are unclean by most church standards. Great, go do it. You may find yourself in dark places. Guess what Jesus did too? You may go where no one else. It is no wonder that when the gospel of Jesus got a hold of that early church, they did things that no one else in the world would do. They would go take care of the sick and the lame, and they would look out for the widows and the orphans and the poor because they weren't afraid. Serve Jesus. Are you going to go proclaiming what Jesus has done? This leper, he can't keep it quiet. Now that causes issues, but he's letting people know this Jesus, I believe, but now I know what he is capable of doing. James, John, Peter, and Andrew, they just follow. They say, you're worth it. Let's go. What will be your response today? We have a choice. How will we respond today? You say, well, I've already, I already prayed a prayer 70 years ago. I've already given my life to Jesus. Yeah? What are you going to do today? Peter, James, John, and Andrew, they had already accepted the call of Jesus on their life a couple days earlier, but they, they still got to respond to Jesus today. This is why Paul says, Keep in step with the Spirit. Is your faith static? Is it stagnant? Friends, I think that might be an issue. Because it's not living water when it's just pooling. I mean, we got water. And we got water out there a lot. Some of you live by the cornfields. I don't know of any of you that are going to be willing to take your glass of water and go out to the cornfield and dip it in there and, and, and go ahead and drink it. Uh, I mean, I might be crazy. I am. I'm not that crazy. But you might be willing to go to the Mad River where it's flowing a little bit, where some of the stuff can sit towards the bottom. 
Maybe. But you can't get water from your tap if you don't ever turn it on. It's there. Rusty would have a fit if I went downstairs and just cut open one of the pipes, wouldn't you, Rusty? Okay, the water's there, but it ain't flowing until the faucet's turned on. And in our case, as long as we're not doing dishes next door. But that's another thing, you know. But what is your response? Lastly, and I want you to hear this well, Jesus, not ourselves, must have final authority. I'm really concerned by some of my, my brothers and sisters in Christ that really believe they have final say on lots of things. And it's in our world. It's probably in our church. I'm not naive. Friends, we need to stop looking at ourselves so much. That's why for many, many months, I don't know if anyone noticed, um, you know, some may have noticed, but for many, many months, the Saturday devotion and the weekly devotions that I create was one verse, John 3.30. Anybody know that verse? He must increase and I must decrease, says John the Baptist. Why was that there for so long? Maybe it's just me because I need to realize that I must decrease so he can increase. I must get lower so he can get higher. Now the verse for who knows how long is going to be uh, the verse of John the Baptist here in Mark, where Mark, or yeah, John the Baptist in Mark chapter 1, verse 8, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Just get used to seeing that. Because Jesus is doing a new thing, and i got to get out of the way and let him baptize with the Holy Spirit and not take up this water. Jesus must have final authority for your life, my life, this church's life. That's the whole point of thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does Jesus want for you? I, I can tell you, he wants you to come to him. He wants to go about this work of transformation where he can heal you from what you are dealing with if you're willing to submit. But you know what? He ain't going to fight for that. He is who he is, even if you and I don't believe. He has authority, even if we don't act like it. And so I ask you, church, dearly beloved of First Baptist St. Paris, let's act like it. Let's act like Jesus has final say. And let's live different. Yeah, the world's going to notice. They may not like it because we're different. Great. I can, I can take whatever the world comes at my way because I know who Jesus is. He is fully God, fully human, and he undoes the effects of sin. And man, that's what I need. Will you pray with me? Gracious Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, you have done a work here. Your word has been proclaimed as, as best as I can at this moment today, and I just ask that you do the work that only you can do. 
you can, you know, your word says that because of how powerful you are, not only do demons uh, obey you, but you can have animals speak and, and, and do your bidding. So, you know, Lord, I know you've said something to somebody or many of us. I know you've been working on me this week. So, Lord, may I submit, may we submit to you. And not just in all of who you are or scared because of what you can do, but submit in such a way that we serve you by serving others. As we will hear in this gospel, you say, love God and love your neighbor. There are no greater commands than this. Oh, Lord, may we decrease so you can increase this day. Lord, may we live differently so that the world will see who you are and the freedom that is found only in you. Lord, we thank you for this time, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.